can't rewrite the Doctor Who podcast? Not one line. And welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who podcast. In this episode, it's all about chicks and it's all about Time Lords. We have a wonderful interview with uh, Lynn Thomas, the contributing editor, and Krista Dixon, one of the contributors to a fantastic new book from Mad Norwegian Press, Chicks Dig Time Lords. It's all about women, it's all about fandom, and it's a book that you should read. We've also got Chip from the Two Minute Time Lord on board to give a bit of a review of the book and convince you wonderful people out there to rush out and buy a copy. It's another day and it's another Doctor Who podcast. Hello, I'm Trevor. Welcome to the show. And with me in the uh, Doctor Who podcast camper van, I have Chip from the Two Minute Time Lord. Hello, Chip. Hello, Trevor. Long time no see. Wow, I love what you've done with the place. Isn't it beautiful? The, the wonderful Frisia architecture on the side. You know, we had all this extra money to pump in and up, upgrade the old caravan up, up to a beautiful new camper van. It's lovely. I'm not sure about the lace doilies, though. Uh, this is a, I don't know, the old place, it had this sort of uh, rustic charm. This is uh, kind of polished, kind of I thrilly. know, I know. Well, we had to upgrade because the old one had a bit of a lived-in look. You know, there was the old stains on the walls and on the tables and everything. But we put a bit of money in, we've sanded everything down, and it's beautiful again. And I'd like to welcome you to it. Well, thanks a lot for having me, Trevor. It's good to see you again. <laughs> well, when I was thinking about someone who could join me for this episode to talk about this fantastic new book from Mad Norwegian Press, Chickstig Time Lords, I thought the obvious person would be Chip from the Two Minute Time Lord podcast because um, you've been quite a champion of this book um, on your own show and you've talked with quite a few of the people involved with it. Absolutely. It's a really important book to me. Um, just in concept alone, before I even got the book, I can't stand the idea of uh, boys clubs or closed fandoms. And the idea that uh, Doctor Who is a boys club, particularly in the UK, was kind of entrenched. Uh, so it was great to hear about this project coming up, to talk about it with some of the people as it was coming up. And to sort of see uh, my wife's experience with Doctor Who reflected in uh, some of the pages of this book. It is a phenomenal uh, new piece of work. I found it a, a real eye-opener of a book too, That because when Lars from Mad Norwegian Press sent me a review copy, and I looked at it and went, oh, I don't think I'm going to be particularly interested in that. Um, but reading it, it's, it's a real eye-opener because it, it exposes well me personally to a side of Doctor Fan that I probably wasn't particularly familiar with. Because certainly here in Australia, and, and I suppose like certain parts of the world, um, Doctor Who fandom is very male-centric. It's dominated by males. It's um, pretty rare that you see females attend. It's usually like the girlfriend of one of the male attendees more than anything. And to read this book and find out, well, there's this whole, I suppose you can say all almost other world out there that is in Doctor Who fandom in, in, in these wonderfully creative ways. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's a fair way of putting it. Uh, part of it, and I'm sure uh, your guests in the interview uh, talked about this a little bit, but part of it is the particularly American flavor of some of the um, fans in Chick Stick Time Lords who've uh, contributed. Uh, there's a background of female participation in fanzines and uh, media fandom in the U.S. Uh, that is perhaps a little bit stronger than in other countries, and I- I'd let them uh, go into the explanation for why. I'm not sh- I'm not qualified to comment on that, but um, there is that. Um, one of the interesting things that I noticed in reading this book was the importance of live journal. Um, in the tech community, you know, people have sort of gotten past live journal it's not the next big thing i was watching the uh, techzilla um uh, video podcast which is all about technology and uh one of the hostesses was uh patting metaphorically patting george R. R. martin on the head because he has a blog on live journal and how quaint that is but there's a <laughs> thriving doctor who fan community uh, there are thriving fan communities of every sort on Live Journal, there's a strong female participation in there, in there, and in Doctor Who fandom, um, these are people who are connecting, who are sharing, who are creating, and uh, really feeding off of each other, and that's uh, a, a source of strength for female fandom in Doctor Who. And I think we're really seeing an outpouring of that creative melding at the various conventions that are going on. I mean, I know, Chip, you were at the recent uh, Gallifrey convention and there certainly was quite a strong contingent of women there that all seem to have their own little creative niche, whether it's knitting clubs or whether it's drawing comics or whether it's creating fanzines or doing websites and stuff like that. Uh, quite, quite a strong presence this year. And rather more salacious types of creativity as well. I mean, it's a big, broad spectrum. Um, and that's another thing I picked up on from reading this book. Um, our friend uh, Michael from the Ten Dog Podcast, uh, he makes a point every so often of talking about, you know, we're Doctor Who fans, that's what we do. Or in this most recent one, uh, we're Doctor Who fans, let's get pedantic. Um, as sort of a counterpoint to that, if you read uh, Chicks Dig Time Lords, you very quickly get the sense that there are many different flavors of Doctor Who. We're not all alike, and we don't all enjoy the same things. And it's not just a matter of tenant fangirls, for example. Um, The people in this book do not agree with each other on lots of stuff, and it's really refreshing. It's not a monolithic feminist tract of one sort or another. Mm, mm. Well, I think i mean really i mean it's it's probably even slightly sexist to say that we should expect differences between a male doctor who fan and a female doctor who fan that it's sexist to say um every female doctor who fans the same i mean that that's like saying every male doctor who fans the same and reading this book really opened my eyes about just just the amazing um variety of things that they are involved in and and it really seems to be seeping a lot more into the i suppose you call it general fandom now I think that's probably the biggest message that is in this book, that uh, you know, being a female fan of Doctor Who sort of informs your experience with uh, Doctor Who, just like it informs your experience with anything. You know, Being a man informs your experience with anything. How that happens is different for different people. So it's a celebration of women who love Doctor Who and a, c- a celebration of women's experiences with Doctor Who, 
but it's not a blanket statement about what a woman who loves Doctor Who is like. There's just no, uh, right. too many of them. I suppose now would be a good time as any to go over to the interview with uh, Lynn Thomas and Krista Dixon. Lynn is uh, one of the editors and she was also one of the contributing authors to the book and uh, Krista Dixon contributed an article to the book as well. So it was my great pleasure to have a chat to them recently and they told me all about the book, how it started, how it um, progressed and uh, how well it's being received out there uh, in the Doctor Who world. So um, over to the ladies. It's my great pleasure to have in the uh, Doctor Who podcast studio today two of the people involved with a fantastic new book you can get from Mad Norwegian Press with the intriguing title of Chicks Dig Time Lords. I have with me today uh, Lynn Thomas, who's uh, one of the editors and contributing authors, and uh, Krista Dixon, who's also one of the contributing authors. Uh, welcome to the show, ladies. Hello. Lovely to be here. I suppose it's pretty easy to figure out what Chicks Dig Time Lords is all about. It's about women and Doctor Who. One of the fascinating things re- reading the book was it really challenged my preconceptions about women being involved with Doctor Who fandom. Because growing up here in Australia, I was very heavily involved with Doctor Who fandom all the way from the mid-80s onwards, and, and I dabbled in Star Trek fandom. And one of the things I noticed was that while Star Trek fandom had a lot of women involved with it, the, the show seemed to attract it, Doctor Who fandom didn't get the girls so much. And when some used to turn up to the meetings, it was quite a rare and sort of special event wanted to get your perspective on uh, that particular thought. Well, um, that's very interesting because that's pretty much how Kate Orman described it in her essay uh, for the book. But um, it's been our experience when putting together the book that actually the predominance of fandom being men um, depends on where you were. Uh, So, for instance, the folks who were contributors from the UK or from Australia and New Zealand did, in fact, experience a a predominantly male fandom for Doctor Who. But in the United States, actually, Doctor Who fandom was pretty even-steven. It was, um, and in many cases, predominantly female, depending upon which aspect of fandom you were part of. So, for instance, in the US in the 70s and 80s, as soon as Doctor Who became available... Um, the bulk of people who were doing fanzines were women. Um, The conventions were pretty evenly split, and um, so the fandom actually had a lot more women in it, which I think is surprising to some of our readers who are not from the U.S., but that was one of the things we discovered when putting together the book. I do notice that a lot more, too, I think, with with the creative side of fandom. Reading through the book, you see a lot of the ladies that are involved with um, Doctor Fandom are dabbling in that more hands-on feel. I mean, there's that fantastic section on the uh, Torchwood Babies, for example, that uh, wonderful comic strip, and there's what you're talking about with fanzines. It seems to be the sort of female arena to start knitting the scarves and, you know, sort of getting involved with that creative side of things. I I think perhaps also things might have changed a bit in the wilderness years, that when the show was on the air, and then it seems like in the 70s and 80s there was definitely a fanzine sort of scene going on between the women and creating stories and sharing them at conventions, sort of a pre-internet kind of thing. And during the wilderness years, it seems like perhaps more of the attention uh, was shifted to more male fans. Certainly there were more male authors of the novels than there were female authors of the novels. And the first conventions that I went to, which were about 10 years ago, there were certainly more men than women at the American conventions that I'd been to. And that has shifted with the arrival of the new show. There's much more gender parity at the conventions here in the U.S. than there were about 10 years ago. What is it about the new series, do you think, that has brought the women on board? 
It's 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 hard to say. I mean, we we could go with sort of very traditional gendered uh, ideas and say, well, it's because we've got you know female companions who are plucky. But I mean, Doctor Who has sort of always had those. You could say it's because the Doctor and Rose are are in relationship with each other, and women really like relationships. But not all women do. If you've ever seen me and Tara and Shay on a panel together, we disagree violently about whether the Doctor and his companions are actually shagging. Um, but, I mean, so it's it's hard to say. I, I, I mean, I would say that Doctor Who is, the new Doctor Who is more accessible in general to a modern audience. And women in general, I think, have been fans of science fiction in the past 10, 15 years or so, which feature strong female characters and have sort of gotten women into it. I think also the internet has brought a lot of us together. I know growing up, I... My fandom was Star Wars. I was a big Star Wars geek growing up, and I was the only female Star Wars fan I knew. There are tons of women who are into Star Wars, but none of us found each other until the internet came along because we were maybe the only one in our geographical area. So I, I do think that things like LiveJournal and some of the other internet sites have fostered communication between women and you know when we get together and we start reading each other's stories or we start collaborating like Tammy and Katie did on Torchwood Babies then it kind of feeds on itself and it rolls into something much bigger. What are your thoughts on that Lynn? Well I think it's interesting because um, I've sort of got a different perspective than Krista which is that I didn't come into fandom until I met my husband. I married into fandom actually. Um, He was a Doctor Who fan from when he was about 12 and I had never seen the series until I met him. So for for us um and you know i touch on this in our in my essay um it was a matter of him trying to figure out what would hook me and i you know i think that the fandom experience is something that it took me a while to understand um but it once i i sort of connected with the notion that the conventions and the fan fiction and the um you know, podcasts and, and knitting a scarf and making a costume and making a vid and all of the other other creative activities that fans take on are all different ways to express their joy at the product that they enjoy so much. Um, once that sort of clicked in my head, it made much more sense, um, you know. And so for me, I think the, the interesting thing about it is just how much creativity and energy people put into this. And I think it's a wonderful thing. And that was one of the things we really wanted to celebrate with uh, Chicks as a volume and to, to showcase the diversity of the ways that people uh, express their fandom, you know, because it's it's everything from just, you know, sitting down and watching the show and enjoying it to, you know, putting together amazing pieces of art and um, passing it along to our kids and all of the other ways that we express our joy about the show. The thing is, I posted how to knit a Doctor Who scarf panels at conventions and we got women to show up, we got men to show up. We did a crafty, a crafty Doctor Who panel at Target several years ago and probably had about half men there. So, you know, I'm always weary of stereotyping an entire gender and saying, well, women are into Doctor Who because of the relationship between Rose and the Tenth Doctor, or make generalizations like that, because all of the geeky things that boys do, girls do as well. And I, I think that there's a real danger in sort of lumping all of us together and saying we all like the same things. Like Lynn said, one of the great things about the book is I think it really showcases the diversity in all the different contributors that we got to write essays about all these different topics and one of the nicest things that I've read in some of the reviews is people saying 
there are essays I totally agreed with and there are essays I completely disagreed with. And it's okay because there's room for all of us within fandom. I'm a librarian in my day job, and um, one of the things that you come out of your librarianship training with is the notion that there should be something in your collection to offend everyone. <laughs> um, that means you're doing your job right. And so I kind of brought that notion to the collection. You know, I really wanted to make sure that we represented as many different aspects of fandom as possible. And, you know, there are es essays which absolutely contradict one another in terms of how they perceive different companions and different doctors and, and whether the doctor is sexual or not and all of that sort of thing but you know for us the whole point is our fandom is massive there's almost 50 years worth of text to play with and to enjoy and you know we have the room it's bigger on the inside we can do this and still all love this wonderful show there are the pieces in the book that that like you say do massively contradict each other i mean both your contributions to the book i think re really show that lynn is yours is about getting into Doctor Who fandom with your future husband. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas, Krista, you're basically saying, I'm into Doctor Who for the smut. It's true. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that I don't enjoy the smut. It just, you know, there are lots of different ways to be a fan. And that's really sort of the core message of the book. And that there's no one right way. There's no one true path to Doctor Who fandom. It's whatever makes you happy. Well, and this, this came up very much when uh, Tara, uh, the, one of the other contributing editors, and I uh, first started doing what we called the squee panels at Chicago TARDIS several mm. years ago. And the thing is, is that especially, particularly when it comes to the idea of the doctor's sexuality, we are on totally opposite poles. You know, I firmly believe that basically whenever they're not on screen, they're shagging. And Tara firmly believes that, as she says, the doctor has no willy. And the thing is, you know, we've... But the panel was still about our, the celebration of our love for this thing and the idea that we could be completely diametrically opposed and still be united in our love for the show. That's Absolutely. what fandom is all about, really, for me. I mean, it's exactly what happens even when people are reviewing the new Matt Smith episodes that are on our screen now, that each person watching it can walk away with a totally different impression for that episode. They, they can look at character motivations and come away thinking totally different things. And, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about fandom, that lots of people with differing opinions can come together in one room and still not end up, you know, fighting or, you know, sort of trying to kill each other, that they're, that we're accepting of all these divergent opinions. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, we have the diverging opinions in our household. My husband firmly believes that the doctor has no willy. I firmly disagree with that. <laughs> and yet our marriage has re remained strong for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> um. Christy, you, you talked briefly before or, or just touched upon the the whole concept of um, stereotyping. Um, from what I'm gathering from what you're saying, you it sounds like Doctor Who fandom in general has been very open and warm to uh, female fans. There was certainly a, a, a little bit when we first had those squee panels. There were a couple of people who seemed uncomfortable with the idea of us coming in and squeeing I remember that very first panel, there were a couple of guys who sat in the back and just sort of tittered nervously whenever we said something that was a little bit too, uh, too intense, I suppose. I have never had anyone tell me that, you know, I can't participate in their fandom because I believe X or Y or anything like that. And uh, generally, though, I would say that about most fandoms, I've always felt welcome in most fandoms. There may have been stereotyping going on or people assuming that because I'm a girl, I do this. And that's perhaps why I react so strongly to that. But I've never had anyone say, you're a girl, you can't play with us. 
Now, my job is I, I work in IT, and in in the world of technology, I think there's an assumption that women are generally just not very good at it. And that's something that, but I've probably encountered that far more in my work than I ever have in fandom. Fandom tends to be a pretty accepting place because I think a lot of us have experienced being marginalized at some point in our lives, whether it's by the schoolyard bully or whatever, because we're weirdos who are in science fiction. <laughs> and I think that that tends to make fandom a very welcoming place for people who don't quite fit in. And I think that's why certainly I think a lot of non-heterosexual people find science fiction fandom a welcoming place to be is because science fiction fans are used to thinking about things that are not quite the norm. So we tend to be more open-minded as a bunch, I think. Mm. And that tends to make them welcoming. I mean, if anything, when I, when I was first at those Doctor Who conventions and there weren't that many women around, it was more like, ooh, look, a girl. Exciting. <laughs> That's exactly my impression. We sort of used to do this awful double and even quadruple take when some of, when someone of the female gender walked into a convention room. It it was quite a rare occurrence for me personally. And, and I think that uh, some women, I've heard this from many women, that occasionally you'll get someone who's a little bit creepy and doesn't quite know what to end the conversation. But I'm not sure that that's an experience that's peculiar to women. I think just about no. everyone has had that experience at some point. I certainly experienced it more when I was uh, running tables, when I was selling stuff at conventions, because then you can't uh, gracefully extract yourself from a conversation. Um, but I, I don't actually think that that's a gender-specific experience. I think that's just... It's not, you know, no, we, no. We tend to be an open-minded bunch. We also tend to be a, a, a bunch that welcomes those who perhaps don't get a chance to talk about the thing that they love with people normally and so they might get a little excited and ramble on a bit or they're nervous or you know that sort of thing that's right but i i felt that fandom has been welcoming to me certainly and on the whole i would say that fans tend to be a, a pretty mellow laid back and friendly bunch i'd like to talk now i suppose um about the book that's brought us all together in the studio here today mm -hmm. chicks dig time lords um this incredibly unique book that gives a fantastic insight into that wonderful thing, the, the female Doctor Who fan. Um, Lynn, would you like to talk briefly about how the project came together and uh, what inspired you to put together a series of essays on uh, female fandom? Sure. Well, the genesis for the idea actually came from Tara O'Shea, who's the co-editor on the book. Um, she... Um, had been making up a bunch of geeky t-shirts and made up one that's, that had the words Chicks Dig Time Lords across it and um, pitched the idea for an essay book to Lars and Krista. Krista is married to Lars Pearson, who is the publisher of Mad Norwegian Press, just so you can, you know, sort of make up your flowchart as to how we all know each other. <laughs> um, and um, she uh, pitched the book to Lars and Krista, and Lars decided that it would be an interesting project. He thought it was a very snappy title and thought it was an intriguing notion, and so she, he commissioned the book. And then um, Tara's personal life kind of imploded a few months later. There were some illnesses in her immediate family, and she just wasn't going to be able to um, keep work on the book moving along in addition to her day job and, and family stuff. And so I was brought into the project um, to sort of help with the heavy lifting and, and make sure it happened. And so that's what basically where it started. Um, 
And um, in my day job, I mentioned that I'm a, a librarian. What I do actually is a large part of my day job is I archive science fiction literature. And so one of the things that I brought to the table um, when I was brought into the project was the notion of, well, what if we had professional science fiction writers, um, people like Elizabeth Baer, Mary Robinette Kowal, Catherine Valenti, um, Jody Lynn Nye, Shauna McGuire, talk about their experiences with Doctor Who and, and Doctor Who fandom and how that might have affected them as writers um, and as storytellers. And... Um, Tara thought it was a great idea, and Lars and Krista said, great. And so that's sort of how that aspect of things came in. Um, and we were really lucky because we have some wonderful award-winning writers um, who joined. And, you know, other um, contributors like Carol Barrowman, I just, you know, John's sister. Mm. I, 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 sent it, I sent her a message through her website, and she actually said yes. And, you know, it was it was frighteningly simple and wonderful that she was willing to do this for us and she wrote a great essay talking about growing up with John as a uh, Doctor Who fan and how they tortured one another um, <laughs> between Daleks and Autons you know they, they, they have been messing with each other for years and now of course John has access to the real thing um, to, to torture his poor sister so um, it's, it's great fun and it's a really interesting perspective that you know having had her little brother become this huge um, celebrity, you know, after being cast as Captain Jack is, is that's bound to change her relationship with him a little bit. And she talks a, a bit about, you know, how things have changed for them now that he's this celebrity in the, in, you know, in the series that he was a fan of as a child. Mm. So it's a, it's a really, a, a lot of variety. And we were lucky enough um, to get into contact with a couple of the actresses who, uh, played companions on the series, um, Sophie Aldred, who was just lovely. And I had to have Tara interview her because I was too tongue-tied because Ace is my <laughs> companion. Um, and uh, India Fisher, who plays Charlie Pollard in the Eighth Doctor audio adventures, um, also graciously gave us an interview along with Laura Doddington. So, you know, we've, we've were lucky to get folks who were able to talk about their experiences working on the series in addition to, you know, sort of just fans talking about our fandom and... Um, folks um, who are professional writers talking about its influence on their work. And I, I, I like the fact that we were able to put together that kind of variety. But it really became this sort of catch-as-catch-can where, you know, you sort of, you talk to people and you talk to people and then someone says, well, how about this person? And then you get in touch with them and it sort of snowballs from there. Mm. So You mentioned quite a few names there of the contributors to the book and, and they were some of the ones that really leapt off the page for me. Uh, reading Carol's memories of when they were young with... Um, John was fantastic. India Fisher's one was great. One one that really stood out for me was uh, Lisa Bauman's one and also Kate Orman's co uh, contributions to the book. Um, probably more so that I, I know them because they're involved with fandom or they're involved with the show itself. And, mm -hmm. and, it, was, and it was really, really fascinating to read their insights into being a female Doctor Who fan or at, at the very least knowing someone who was a Doctor Who fan and growing up with them like, uh, like Carol did. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting the, the sheer breadth of experiences that we were able to gather into this this slim little volume um it's it's been quite lovely and you know both kate and uh lisa were wonderful to work with and and were were very easygoing you know and um you know my my editorial style for the most part our editorial style tended to be sort of you know we tried to give relatively specific prompts so that the 
we could make sure that we weren't telling the same story over and over again. But um, we also sort of tried to make sure that everybody, when they were telling their story, maintained their own voice. Um, mm -hmm. That was really important to us. Uh, we didn't want a, a, a collection that sounded sort of very samey. Um, and that actually can, can be a little difficult because, um, well, we have a lot of American fans in the book. And um, most Americans came into fandom by seeing Tom Baker episodes on PBS sometime in the 1980s. Um, and so we, we did have a little bit of repetition and we tried to sort of pare that back a little bit. But because it's such a fundamental story for many American fans, some of it stays in, you know, so. It's difficult um, to avoid, isn't it? When, uh... Yeah, it is. Well, it is. I mean, I'm I'm an anomaly in that I had never seen it on PBS. But most of the people that we talked to who had been active in fandom for years and years and years, um, even folks who sort of were fans in the 1980s and then wandered off for a while and then came back with the new series, their first exposure in the U.S. typically was seeing a Tom Baker episode on PBS because mm. his episodes ran constantly <laughs> yeah, right. during the 1980s. You know, most PBS stations ran – they ran Tom Baker and they ran some Peter Davison. It was very rare to uh, be able to see anything from the Pertwee era, even rarer to see Hartnell or Troughton. And, um, you know, by the time Colin Baker and uh, Sylvester McCoy came along, the number of PBS stations that were running the series had dropped. So really, most people in America, if they're casual fans before the new series, the people they know are Tom Baker and Peter Davison. We tried really hard to, to make it accessible to everybody and not have it be sort of this is this little niche and, mm. you know, have it be sort of only speaking to one sort of subset you know we really wanted it to, to to speak to a lot of fandom so it's it's always very gratifying to know that 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 seems to be happening um, <laughs> often different essays to different portions of fandom which is also fun so, so is there enough stuff left over for a updated volume or or a sequel or something or there are no plans at the moment um oh. i'm working on something different at the moment that i can't talk about yet but mm -hmm. um there is not. There are not any solid any solid plans for Chick Stick Time Lords to Electric Boogaloo anytime soon. <laughs> that's a great title. <laughs> well, and and this is something that's definitely true is that there were there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went into this volume. Mm -hmm. The people involved cared very much about the final end product, and uh, squabbled sometimes like children over it. And I think we no! are. <laughs> <laughs> that and, never and I think. I think we're all very proud of the end product and we're very happy that it's being well received. Um, but we're all definitely also ready for um, a rest period to sort of um, yeah. regain some perspective. Before, <laughs> absolutely. Before we go into the next volume. You know, yeah. the thing is, whenever you get a lot of passionate, intelligent, uh, complicated people together to work on a project, there's always going to be uh, these sort of flare ups. And yeah, I don't want to make it sound like it was constant drama because it certainly was not. But it was an exhausting process for all of us. We thought it was going to be popular, but you never know until that book comes out. And it was so gratifying to have all the copies sell out of Gallifrey. And I think we all felt a little bit like rock stars when people came up back to the panel yeah. wanting to get our autographs. And I, I had a couple of people tell me specifically, I loved your essay in particular, and I'm sharing it with my girlfriend and, you know, all this sort of thing. And, mm. It, that's yeah. been wonderful after so many months of really hard work. Yeah, I keep hearing that my essay is the one that makes people cry, which is a <laughs> bit of a dubious <laughs> distinction, I guess. 
crying in a I mean, good I'm way. Glad, like, in a good you know, way. in a good way, but you know, it's it's still sort of like your essay made me cry, and I'm thinking to myself, great, is that a good thing? <laughs> um, well, you know, least, I mean, I'm, I'm glad it's resonant. You know, but I'm not trying to make it bad. <laughs> at least my essay on smut didn't make people cry. That's that true. Be, I mean, that some people bad. are into that, but you know. Mm. Well, this is an open question to you both, uh, Krista and Lynn. As as you were reading the book, or in your case, Lynn, as the contributions started flowing in, was there anything that you read and, and you sort of set up and went, wow, like, you know, may have changed your conceptions about fandom or really made you think twice about something? I think that happened daily for me, frankly. <laughs> Um, I, for me, actually, the, the, the essay that I'm most proud of because it answered questions I was afraid to ask was Johanna Mead's uh, essay about costuming. Yes. Uh, she, was, she was recommended to me by uh, another one of the contributors. And, um, you know, I had met Johanna in passing at Chicago TARDIS and we had, you know, chatted a little bit and hung out at a party, but not really gotten to know each other very well. And I didn't really have a chance to sort of wrap my head around costuming. It's It's... That's an aspect of fandom I didn't know very much about, and I was really grateful to have her recommended. And so what ended up happening with her essay was I literally sent her a list of like 15 questions. And I just said, you know, there are a lot of people that don't understand why people would put this much effort into looking like someone on TV and and making these costumes and and walking around a convention and showing themselves off in, you know, an Androids of Tara outfit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that was the outfit that I saw Johanna in was her Androids of Tara Romana outfit. costumes. So um, I just sent her a list of questions and that was where the genesis for her essay came from. It basically was sort of a, this is what I'm thinking when I decide to put on a costume and and wander around at a convention. And it was really eye-opening and I think a lot of people had an opportunity to connect with that that hadn't really wrapped their heads around that before. So I'm particularly proud of that essay actually. What about yourself, Krista? I knew most of the fan contributors going in so I wasn't particularly surprised by the content of of those essays, uh, the two that stood out the most for me, and uh, I, I actually have not had a chance to go back and read through the book slowly since it came out. Uh, a lot of my read through was at the last minute very quickly, so it all kind of jumbled together in my head. But Cat um, Valente's essay at the very end of the book, I thought was marvelous. And then Shannon McGuire's was so funny. And she talks about growing up and her mother telling her that things that were on public television, if it was before five o'clock, it was probably fiction. That would be children's television. And if it was <laughs> after five o'clock, it was probably, a, it was fact. It would be a documentary. And Doctor Who was on at seven. And so she grew up thinking that Doctor Who was a documentary program. Oh, how glorious. <laughs> and, and, and her essay is about uh, when Adric died, she thought a real person had died and was just sobbing. And her mother comes in and says, what's the matter? Why are you so sad? And she sobs out, Adric died. <laughs> and, and she's like, well, who's Adric? Is, is, is that a you know, schoolmate of yours? And she's like, no, it's not Doctor Who. So then her mother had to sit down and explain that Doctor Who, even though it was on after five o'clock, was not actually fact. And I, I just thought that was precious. Um, when, I, when I go back and I, I think about the book, those are the two that probably stand up the most for me. I can totally understand that, Krista. I think Adric, for me and other fans of my era, evokes a certain emotional response that can 
not be altogether healthy or positive, I don't think, but that's a that's an entirely different story, I think. Chick Stick Time Lords is a fantastic book and it's available now via the Mad Norwegian Press website. Um, pop over there, have a look, um, order yourself a copy. If you are in any way interested in a side of Doctor Who fandom that I don't think has really been explored in this depth before, then uh, this is the book for you, Chicks Dig Time Lords. Um, Lynn and Krista, thank you very much for your time today and, and, and I thank you very much for uh, talking to me about the book. Thanks so thank much. It's been a pleasure. Well, I just want to thank um, Lynn and Krista for uh, being involved with that interview and a big thank to Lars Pearson over at Mad Norwegian Press for uh, initially setting that interview up and providing the review copy. It was a very much appreciated and, and a great pleasure to talk to them. And if you uh, really liked what you heard about Chicks Dig Time Lord, I've got a number of older interviews on the Two Minute Time Lord uh, website at twominutetimelord.com. Uh, Lynn's co-editor Tara O'Shea and costumer Joanna Mead and the Torchwood Babies uh, creators, uh, Tammy Garrison and Katie Shuttleworth. It's a lot of information. Just go to my website and do a search for Chicks Dig Time Lords and you'll find plenty of stuff. And we'll have a link to your wonderful site as well. So, yeah, certainly a wonderful um, extra resource of interviews with some of the fantastic people behind this book. So, yeah, again, my thanks to all for uh, for making it happen and thank you to Chip for, uh, for joining me ever so briefly here today to help me uh, talk about Chicks Dig Time Lords. My pleasure, Trevor. Awesome. Well, that'll be it for another episode of the Doctor Who podcast. We're going to leave you with a little bit of a musical number by a UK comedian by the name of Ashley Freeze. Uh, he sent me uh, a wonderful little ditty which he's composed, which is a song which sort of goes through in a wonderfully melodic format, the uh, first three stories of the Matt Smith reign as the Doctor. So I hope you enjoy. If you like it, uh, please leave some comments for Ashley on his website. We'll have a link in the show notes or send your thoughts about it to feedback at thedoctorypodcast.com because the more encouragement he gets, the more music he'll make and the more you'll hear of it on the DWP. So please enjoy Ashley and uh, we'll see you in a few days to talk about the next episode of Matt Smith's Doctor. Bye-bye all and bye-bye, Chip. Bye-bye. Hi, my name's Ashley Fries. I'm a stand-up comedian here in the UK and also a Doctor Who fan. And I thought it'd be quite interesting to see whether I could make each of the episodes in Series 5 into a, uh, into a little song. Uh, so here's one that I've done for the first episode. And, uh, you know, if it works out, maybe people let me know. I'll uh, do some of the other ones. So uh, enjoy. His first few seconds were the hardest Hanging out of his broken TARDIS After the end of time's the eleventh hour Oh, he lands in the past, meets a weak Albert TARDIS on its back like in Casper Malva Great, the Doctor's back, Geronimo! Then he wants to eat, but fine apples don't cut the mustard and Amelia says she's scared of a crack in the wall So after he has finished off eating fish custard Well here's one doctor that will make house calls So he waves the sonic at the wall crack The Atraxi start to track prisoner zero who's escaped The cloister bell rings doom Things are getting quiet off kilter There's a door behind a perception filter And the doctor doesn't notice the zero's room And Amelia thinks it won't all end in tears If she packs a case and waits for him to come back But when he returns from saving the TARDIS She's aged twelve years 
and whacks him on the head with a cricket bat. How's that? Now this may just sound a little pervy. Cute Amelia's now amiable boy. She's curvy, but there's a giant threat upon the earth. With no TARDIS or Sonic, the doctor's stymied. Things have gone all timey-wimey. It's time for this time Lord to show his worth. So he writes a virus on a phone to show prisoners heroes. A multiform in the form of a coma patient. He has a showdown in a hospital wing. He steals clothes from there like reanimated. Seems to be his thing. That's pretty much it. The earth is saved, it's a barrel of fun He then invokes the shadow proclamation and says I'm the doctor, basically run Then the TARDIS regenerates, everything's gonna be okay He comes back and picks up Amy the night before her wedding day So there's no need to worry about those cracks in the walls Unless the Pandorica opens and the silence falls That was the Doctor Who Podcast which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com If you have any feedback please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums Thank you for listening. Take care.